Good morning. Uh, my name is Bill Stafiri. If I, if I haven't met you yet, I, I would love to get a chance to meet you after the service. I'm the senior pastor here at Beach Point. And I, I want to show you a little picture of my family. Um, so here's, here's a part of my family you maybe haven't met. So this is Maverick is our golden retriever and Patrice is our, our rabbit. And uh, the two of them. Now, I show that photo because when people come to our house and they encounter the two of them together, often eating, they eat Cheez-Its together. They sit next to each other and, and we feed them Cheez-Its. And so when they experience that, they kind of look and go, you know, this isn't going to end well, right? Like uh, this is not... And so every time this, this time of year, I'm reminded of this story where uh, a woman was looking out her kitchen window into her backyard and she saw her German shepherd shaking the neighbor's rabbit. It was just shaking it vigorously. And she's like, oh, no, it's already they had had a lot of tension between them as neighbors. And so she runs outside with a, a broom. She smacks her dog. The bunny falls there. And it is, I mean, it is really, really dead. And so she, she grabs it thinking this is not going to go over well. So she, she panics, takes the rabbit inside. She washes the rabbit off. She blow dries it. She combs its hair. And when her neighbor isn't looking, she sneaks into the backyard, props it up into the rabbit cage, and then goes back over to the house. About an hour later, she hears screaming from her neighbor's yard. So she runs over to see why she's screaming. And she kind of knows, but she hears, my rabbit, my rabbit. She's like, what happened? She's like, it died two weeks ago. We buried it, and now he's back. So, so in, in, in the ancient world, uh, they knew that dead rabbits did not come back. Uh, they also knew that dead rabbis did not come back. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, uh, wrote this incredible book on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he writes this, he says, there were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. And isn't that the point of what we are celebrating, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It changes everything. And it, scripture's greatest claim is that Jesus, the Son of God, not only entered the world, not only did he die for our sins, but God raised him from the dead, giving him authority over all those things, over sin and death. And, and, and so this very hope that we have, this is the, this is the thing that we believe that, that changes everything. Now, you have to understand, uh, when Jesus died, they were worried about a fake resurrection. In fact, if, if you read the account, you see that they took precautions to make sure that they couldn't fake a resurrection. That they uh, 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 required that when uh, Jesus' body was placed in the tomb and the stone was rolled in front of it, they had a, a Roman seal placed across, which was a, they had a cord, a, a, a rope that went across. Uh, it, they had molding clay on both sides and then a Roman seal affixed to it. So if the stone was moved, you would know that someone moved it. Not only that, they had uh, a number of Roman guards stand there and, and keep guard over that so that if anyone tried anything, that they would be stopped. They knew that without a resurrection, the Jesus movement would have died. It would be over. Now, I don't know if you know that. We still believe that to be true. 
that if there is no resurrection, that our faith is useless. In fact, the Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And I don't know if you're you're catching that. So what the Bible says this is that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, Bill, what are you doing? You should, it's a beautiful day. Go to the beach, get some, get, get a great like brunch, do something different than what you're doing today. And the rest of you, join him. Get out of here. Go do something. Get it, go, move on. If we're just gathering here because there's some good principles about life and morality that we're hoping to gain, the Apostle Paul and the scriptures are willing to say, you're fools. Move on with your life. But if Jesus has been raised, if he is risen, then everything has changed. You and I now know that sin and death have been conquered, that we have eternal life in him. And not only do we have eternal life someday with him, but we have that same power, the scriptures say, that same power that was used to raise Christ from the dead, that same power is available to us here and now that we can experience that resurrection power in our lives even today. And we know this, that in that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, that while Jesus was the first to be raised, that that we will one day be raised as well. That that someday we will get resurrected bodies as well. And I don't know about you, I'm I'm turning 49 in a couple weeks. And so my my body, I'm learning, it it, it takes like like a 30 minutes to warm up in the morning with some stretches and some other things. And, I, and as I understand, it's going to get progressively worse. Uh, so no matter what I do to slow that down, I play softball with some of the guys here in the church. And if I do get lucky enough to get on base, I always have to have a runner run for me. So uh, I played with some young kids on Thursday and I was on first and the kid hit it over everyone's head. He tried to lap me around. He almost caught me. It, it, so it's not getting better. It's getting worse. So there, there's a part of this idea. But I, I love this, that every time we see Jesus in his resurrected body, he's, he's doing things like, look at me. Look at my hands and my feet. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. And so our future is not this floating on a cloud where you're going to get chubby and sprout wings and learn the harp. That our future, there's a physical future, a new heaven, a new earth. And there's this life that we will have together and with God forever. There, these are the things that are, are a part. If he has been risen, then there is a hope that we have. It's the most important event in human history. And it reveals that God has this desire to be in a relationship with us now and forever. But the resurrection is not an easy thing to believe, is it? I mean, we saw last week that his disciples did not get their heads around it. They were not expecting it. It had never happened before. It has not happened since. I mean, this is not an easy thing. So we can at least be sympathetic when we see one of Jesus' disciples struggling to believe that this has really happened. And this is what we want to see today in our big ideas. We're going to, as we're going to work through this, this amazing story, I want to give you an idea and I want us to, to wrestle through it. But here it is, that the risen Jesus helps doubting disciples to believe. The risen Jesus helps doubting disciples believe. See, after the first Easter Sunday, Jesus continued to appear to his followers over a 40-day period. So 
it, it wasn't just isolated to the stories that we saw last, uh, uh, last week, but that uh, over a 40-day period, he continued to reveal himself. And the, and the hope was that he would build greater and greater faith, that they would believe in him more and more. And the first one came with one of his followers, a guy named Thomas. Now, Thomas, Thomas had his doubts about the resurrection for good reason. If it was true, then, then it, would, it would change everything that he understood. It would exceed his expectations of Jesus. And maybe you've even heard the story of Thomas. A lot of people refer to him as Doubting Thomas. But I want you to watch this story and I want you to hear a little bit of what happens in him because I think ultimately what we see in Thomas is that he is not doubting Thomas, that we will see that he is believing Thomas. And so I want to invite you to turn to his story found in John chapter 20. John 20 verses 24 to 31. There's Bibles in front of you and it's on page 1088. And if you need a Bible, we encourage you to grab one and keep it as your own. Um, also, if you want to take notes uh, uh, each week or you want to help do the devotion, we have what's called a life journal. They're in the lobby. Just grab one. If you don't have one yet, make sure you grab one. It's a great way for you to kind of uh, write down the things that God is impressing upon you in your own time with him, your life group time, and this time as well. But let me give you a little background on Thomas as we, we prepare to look at this story. Thomas had left everything to follow Jesus, and for three years he had done so. He was convinced that Jesus was going to change the world and that he was actually going to get to be a part of this. And so you got to imagine what it was like for Thomas to, to experience that Friday when they, after Jesus was arrested, they all scattered that night before, and then to, to learn not only about the, the arrest, but the, the gruesome death that Jesus endured. And in that moment, uh, a hopelessness, a discouragement, uh, everything that Thomas thought could happen was crushed and left wanting. Now, here's what we know, is that uh, somehow, some way, Thomas, Thomas wasn't with the other disciples. He, he isolated himself. He wasn't there. And so what we see, as we saw last week in the, in the beginning stories of that Easter, was that when Jesus uh, uh, began to appear, that, that Thomas wasn't there for this. That Thomas came after all these things. He wasn't around. And so when Mary came running into the room that the, the tomb was empty and the disciples went running down, he wasn't there for that. And then later in the day when the two men on the road to Emmaus, Luke tells us, had this encounter with the risen Jesus and they came running back to that room to tell him, he wasn't there for that. And when Peter came into the room and shared about his experience, he wasn't there for that. And when Jesus himself appeared to the 11, Thomas wasn't there for it. When Thomas showed up, you gotta think about what this must have been like. Thomas is discouraged, he's lost his hope, and here he goes, he shows up in this room expecting to find everyone in the same place, and here they are, buzzing. This is not what he expected. They are buzzing, there's an electricity in the room, they're talking about, Thomas, we saw him, we, 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 he, he's alive, and Thomas is like, what, what are you talking, like, it was incredible, like, we were, we were sitting here, and we we're talking, and then he goes, hey, does anybody have a fish, I'm hungry, and we, we ate, I guess you just had to be there, and he's, he's stuck in one of these moments where they're all reliving these stories, and Thomas, as you can expect, was skeptical, and he struggled to believe, he knew that if this was true, it would change everything. Risen? Nah, it's too good to be true. I won't believe it unless I see it. And so let's look at Thomas's story found here, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, it's very interesting. John does something very interesting. Uh, uh, John's writing uh, about 60 years after the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are, are, uh, these gospel accounts already exist. And so there's an account of Jesus' life that already exists and is circulating. So when John writes, there's a way of, of him not only, he, he's telling different kinds of stories, not just the what, but the whys. And he's pressing in on some things. And this is one of those unique stories that John gives us that the others don't. And in this story, we see some, some amazing things happen. And I, I want to draw you into two, two important things that we see. Here's the first thing, is that doubt can be a doorway to faith. Doubt can be a doorway to faith. Now, the beginning of this text, I don't know if you noticed, there's some tension. Think about this. Not only was Thomas not there when Jesus appeared, think about what he went through from Friday to Sunday, and then he shows up and he misses it all. And then I don't know if you noticed, it says a week later. So Thomas stewed in all of that tension for a week. Now, I don't know why. I don't think there's an easy answer to why this is, why Jesus allowed this to happen. But there, there seems to be these moments where we, we try to sometimes find an easy answer. They're not there. Uh, but Jesus let Thomas struggle in his doubt. Why would he do that? Well, perhaps it's this. Maybe uh, you've experienced this, that doubt often is, it's like a birth pang of a deeper faith. Uh, doubt is something that can help you take a step. Now, certainly it can help you take a step back, but it can also help you take a step forward. When you wrestle with, with hard things, with, with difficult things, it can be like an antibody. Uh, there's, there's something about experiencing doubt that allows us, as we wrestle through those things, to be able to handle bigger things, tougher things that we are going to come across. Here's the problem sometimes for us in church. We are afraid to ask questions. We are afraid to, to bring up something, especially if you're new, right? You're new and you're saying, well, what about, and this and that, and someone finally is like, shh, new guy. We don't, we don't ask that here, okay? And there's a tension like, hey, we just, we don't talk about those things. Why? Why don't we? Why are we afraid? Now think about this. Thomas is even the one. We even see Thomas as being someone who's not afraid to ask questions. Jesus, even on that last night with his disciples, he, he's having this moment and he says, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he starts telling him about going away that he knows his life is about to end. And he says, you know the way of where I'm going. And Thomas goes, I don't know the way. I don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way. And everyone else is going, shh, Thomas, don't ask that. 
We don't know the way either, but you don't ask that. And then Jesus responds, Thomas, you do know the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so we see this with Thomas. He was kind of a bold person who asked hard things. But I want you to understand something, that that our mission here, as Jenna said, our mission is to develop you as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know any other way for you to develop as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ without wrestling and struggling through doubts, questions, hardships, where it doesn't all make sense to you. In fact, notice this. There's a way that we watch Thomas struggle that I think you and I can relate to. He had intellectual questions and intellectual doubts. A dead person alive, uh-uh. I, I can't get my head around that. I, I don't have anything to put my finger on to say I've seen this or I've understood this before. He, he had good questions. How can this possibly work? Maybe you have questions, maybe about the resurrection, maybe about uh, how science in the Bible and uh, is the Bible reliable and what about other faiths and all, all these things. You and I will have intellectual questions that we have to work through. But, but think about this also, that there, uh, if Jesus was really alive, as I said, this was, this was, th- there were others who had come claiming to be, a mes- be a messiahs and saviors. They were going to rescue the Jewish people. They were going to overturn Rome. And everyone had failed. But now if this happened, G- if Jesus is alive, this is going to turn up, upside down this whole culture. The Jewish nation is not going to know what to do with it. The Roman Empire is not going to know. Like, this is going to be a really unsettling time for us just to live in. Maybe you feel like that right now. I I don't know about you, but for me, this last year, I I have not ever noticed so much uh, lack of harmony, maybe we'll call it that, in Christianity, especially here in America. With all the issues that come up, it seems that we are divided on where to stand, on whatever it is. And we cannot figure it out. And people left and right are throwing in the towel on their faith saying, if we can't figure this out, then I don't think I can do this. And particularly our younger folks are, are struggling because we are taking sides with, and saying Jesus is on my side and we do not know how to work this through. There are cultural doubts and challenges and hardships that we have. But there were emotional challenges for, for Thomas as well. He isolated himself. When, when this moment happened, we don't know where he went or what happened, but whatever happened, some scholars think that maybe he went all the way back to Galilee. Maybe he began this road of thinking, I have to start my life over. What, all we know is this, is that he did isolate himself from everyone else. And you know when you isolate yourself, you can get into some, some tough places emotionally. But it's not hard for us to relate and feel like, feel those same things that there's, there's sometimes there are hurt or there's ways things happen and we wonder, Jesus, where are you? How come you're not in this with me? How come you're not showing up? Where, and we feel this emotional struggle. But certainly, there was a spiritual challenge, a spiritual doubt that he was wrestling with. And if nothing else, thinking, Jesus, why didn't you appear to me? Why did you appear to everyone else but leave me out? What did I do? You ever gone to a camp and everyone's like, got the camp high? And you're like, or maybe you are doing the life journal and you're doing this whole soap process of learning to read, not just read scripture, but listen to God in scripture. And people in your life group are going, oh man, I had this, this man, the Lord really spoke to me. And you're like, meh, like, I, I guess this works, but I just, I'm not really feeling it yet. And you may be feeling like, what's wrong with me? 
Sometimes we have what are called the dark nights of the soul. We just can't, we just feel this distance from God. All these things we see are things that Thomas certainly is wrestling with. And Thomas was going through so much. Notice what he does. He asked for specific proof. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He was honest about his, his doubts, but watch how Jesus uses this as a doorway to faith. Think about what he's saying. It's been, I need to see, I need to see his wounds. I, I don't want to just see him. I want to be able to put my finger in the nail holes. I want to put my hand in the side where the spear went through. If I can't experience that, whoa, Thomas, do you have any other things that we can add to the list? I mean, he's getting rather specific, isn't he? But here's the thing I want you to see. The second thing I think it's really important for us to see is that Jesus meets us in our doubts. Jesus meets us in our doubts. Thomas had his doubts, and what did Jesus do? Jesus enters into the room, and he pours his attention on one disciple. For 40 days, Jesus is, is making his way through, through uh, uh, all these different things. But on this tour stop, his focus is on one disciple, to meet one hurting disciple. Now, notice this. This is so key. Remember the demands that, that Thomas made. I want to see the wounds. I want to put my finger here. I want to place my hand. Notice what Jesus says again. Look at what Jesus says. All right, Thomas, look and see. Thomas, reach out, place your hand in the, in the scars in my hands and in my side. He, he knows his concerns word for word. And, and so it creates this, this weird moment for us, right? Because uh, for whatever reason, he, uh, Jesus allows him to struggle and suffer during that week. But somehow, someway, and I can't explain it to you how it works, somehow, someway, Jesus knows exactly what Thomas is wrestling with exactly what he's wrestling with. And he calls to him to believe. Now, faith is so interesting. Faith in the Bible, it, it's, a, it's progressive. It, it is about moving in a direction that we take steps and we take steps and we kind of find this, we, we kind of set ourselves and we keep moving a little bit at a time, forward, forward, forward. And in this moment, notice how Jesus even describes it. If you were to describe verse seven or translate verse seven, Kind of a, a, a rough translation would be, he's saying, stop becoming unbelieving and start becoming believing. So catch yourself where you are. You're moving this way. Stop, arrest, and start moving towards belief. And he's inviting him, take that next step with me, Thomas. Take that next step with me, Thomas. Come with me. I'm not going to let you down, Thomas. And he's trying to get Thomas moving in the right direction. And Jesus offers him this. And notice Thomas's response in verse 28. It's not his OMG moment, okay? He's not just like, wow, astonished. This is, these are words of confession. He pours himself out saying to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus gives him what he needs and he believes. And, 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 and in this moment, I just want you to see in this story. Because for for. I know for us, many of us in here, we are struggling through our own questions, doubts, and hurts. But I just want you to notice something in this story. Jesus hears him, and he gives him what he needs. Now, I am confident 
I don't know why. Sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes a year. Some of you are still in it, and you're still waiting and wondering, will you ever answer these questions? Will you ever help me understand why this happened? And you're, you're really wrestling. All I can say, I don't know why he takes his time doing what he does, but I just want you to look at this story and see something. He hears you. He knows what you're going through. He knew it from Thomas, word for word, what it was he was going through. And he gave Thomas what he needed. And I hope that you will find some confidence in this. People ask me, Pastor Bill, do you ever have doubts? All the time. I hope that doesn't freak you out. All the time. You try to get your head around an eternal God. Like all the time. Like what? How how does this work? And I've only grown up in this church. So when I went away to school at Biola University, all of a sudden I was exposed to a lot more stuff that I hadn't ever been exposed to before. And then I went to seminary and I was exposed to a lot bigger ideas and a lot more stuff. And there were days I was just like, ah, I don't get it. How does this work? I'm frustrated. I don't like this. I don't like you. And I wrestled with it and I still wrestle. And there are times I even now where I think, oh, I've got this down and I, I think I'm a smart guy. And someone gives me a, a rebuttal and I go, wow, I have to go back and rethink this all over again. And in these moments, it's important that we recognize this. You will have this journey of faith, of moving step by step, this progressive step of faith. You will have these moments. You'll have discoveries along the way, but you will have struggles, and it's okay to have those struggles. But Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. And I believe if you are honest yourself, that he will give you what you need as well. When I met Joe and Jillian Clausey, uh, I didn't uh, know much about their story. And the more I began to hear about their story, the more I was fascinated with the unique way in which Jesus had to enter into uh, uh, their struggles with intellectual doubts and emotional doubts and spiritual doubts. And so I want you to hear uh, from Joe his story. So would you welcome Joe? Pastor Bill. Uh, my name is Joe Clossy. Uh, if it weren't for my doubts, I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus today. I was raised in the Mormon church, or LDS church. I'm the second oldest of eight children. I thought I knew Jesus growing up. I thought I was following his teachings and helping others come to know him. After high school, I wanted a mission for the LDS church. Yes, I wore the white, t-shirt, the white uh, collared shirt and the name tag, and rode around on a bike and knocked on people's doors. I came back, went to college. I met Jillian, and we got married six months later. I started seeing problems with the LDS church after we got married. People in the church claimed to follow Jesus and his teachings, but they would live so differently. There were there was this expectation to be perfect and pretend that no one in good standing could be living a sinful life. I also started having doubts about the Mormon doctrine, that God's grace wasn't enough for you, and you always had to be doing stuff to be in good standings with God in order to receive forgiveness. There, was this, there were different accounts of Joseph Smith's story, and there was this And there were dark things in the church's history that most members of the church didn't want to talk about. But the most painful thing 
that we started having difficulty having children. We experience the loss of pregnancy, and we go to church and be constantly bombarded with, when are you going to have kids? We felt like we were doing everything we were supposed to be doing, according to the Mormon faith, yet we were not having kids. If God was so loving, why would he take our ability to have or keep children? After we had our son, Brandon, we experienced three more losses, and we were very angry towards God. And a lot of unanswered questions for us. Jillian said she was done with the LDS church. She said she couldn't pretend anymore, and I felt the same way. So we stopped attending. Despite our hurt, we still knew we wanted God in our lives. So we went... So when a friend invited us to attend their Christian church, we reluctantly said, sure. We went and heard about the real Jesus, but we we were not ready to commit yet. My doubts of the LDS faith had left me, had led me away from the church, and now I struggled with new doubts. Who is God? What is the Trinity? Is the Bible the only true scripture? Does God really care about me and the pain that we've been through? Over the next three and a half years, we kept going to church and tried to learn. It was just not an automatic switch. I had to seek God. I had to pray. I studied the Bible. I read commentaries. I spoke with pastors and Christian friends and coworkers, and eventually found some answers to my intellectual doubts. And as we learned about God, we also learned that through our pain over losing pregnancies was great. The love of God was so much greater. To know that God was with us in our pain, to know that we were not alone, brought us such comfort. Finally, one Sunday, I was in church at that time. The music and the message that day were about grace. And everything that I'd been studying hit me all at once. I knew I could not stay the same. I knew Jesus was calling me to follow him. I came forward that day and prayed, and I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Jillian's experience was different, but we were baptized a few months later. Now we're here at Beach Point with our two children. We continue to learn and grow as a family in in our faith. If it weren't for my doubts... I would still be in the LDS church trying to live a perfect life. My doubts led me away from those lies. My doubts motivated me to keep studying, to get to know the real Jesus. Today I trust that he is the God of the Bible, that he is with me and Jillian even in our times of sorrow, and he was and is working behind the scenes. I believe that salvation comes through him alone and that one day I will rise again when it departs this life, because of my belief in him. My name is Joseph Clossy, and this is part of my recent story. As you listen to uh, Joe's story, you see it, it's, not a, it's not a quick fix. There were years in which he wrestled with ideas and and intellectually and emotionally. And, and uh, with Thomas, we see that there's this 
period of struggle. Uh, and, and we look at this and we see that, that Jesus meet, met Joe where he was and it changed his life. Jesus met Thomas where he was and it changed his life. And, and here's the thing that's so interesting about Thomas. You know, uh, this idea that, see, as Jesus meets us in our doubts, that this does become a doorway to faith. In fact, the stories that, that history will tell you about Thomas is this, is that uh, he was uh, one who felt led by God to bring the gospel to India. In fact, if you go to India, even today, there's ways in which the Indian people recognize uh, the way that Thomas was the one who brought uh, faith and brought the gospel to him. And, and the, the story goes that Thomas one day was told to deny his faith. And if he didn't deny his faith, they would kill him. And, and uh, Th- Thomas, it's commonly accepted that he looked up into heaven and he said these words, never will I deny the one who died for me. And they tied him to a tree and they drove a stake through his heart and they killed him in that place. This is why I can't call him Doubting Thomas. That's not who he is. Uh, if Jesus is risen, it changes everything, everything in us. And Thomas should inspire us as a Christian that, that if the resurrection is true, if we're going to embrace the resurrection, we cannot be indifferent to it. It changes us. And so if we're going to get there, then we have to do something. And, and here's what I invite you to do today. Will you invite Jesus to respond to your doubts? We invite Jesus to respond to your doubts. I don't know if they're intellectual or it's the cultural stuff that's going on right now that's driving you crazy, or, or it's emotional stuff, stuff, there's hurt, or it's spiritual. But the easiest thing for us to do is to ignore these things or pretend that they don't exist or just not deal with it. And I want to encourage you, if this is true, then we have to walk in it and, and, and go through this process that you'd be bold enough to say, bring these things to Jesus and, and, and invite him into this. See, there's a, an incredible study that's been done by Fuller Youth Institute. Uh, they've been studying young people, and they realize that it's really not doubt that is killing young people's faith. It's silence. And, and what they would tell you is this, is that, that over 70% of high school students uh, in youth groups have some kind of doubt. But the reality is the majority of them never talk about it with anyone. And I don't know that that changes much when we become adults. But the reality is good-meaning people just, again, say that's just not what we do. We, don't, we, we, kind of, we protect and, and hold these back. And I love the way Brad Griffin says it. He says, it's not doubt that is toxic to your faith. It's silence. And so I want to invite you, if you are struggling with something today, to, to invite Jesus into it. In fact, uh, the song that we're going to uh, uh, go to is really going to be, a, come, as we come out of this time of prayer, I'm going to give you a moment of silent prayer to hand these things over to the Lord. But I think it's, and it's appropriate too, uh, Jillian, uh, Joe's wife, is going to lead you in this song. And as we sing in this song, there's a way of saying to God, I'm looking to you. I, I'm, I'm turning these things over to you. My hope is in you. My faith is in you. And, and you may have, be able to only hold on to that very loosely. But I want to encourage you in this time, if we are going to become authentic followers of him, that it becomes very important for us to invite him into these things. And so let's, let's bow together, let's pray, and let's continue this, this prayer as we sing. Take a moment to pray and to invite Jesus into any doubts you, you are having today.